Hello, and welcome to Mother Daughter Earthcast, a show that will help you navigate the eco world and live a more colorful and conscious life. We'll inform, inspire, and embolden you. And most importantly, we'll have fun along the way to a more planet-caring lifestyle together. Welcome back to another episode of Mother Daughter Earthcast. This is Mariana Archibald. And I'm Jenna Woods. And today we have an incredibly unique, lively, hilarious guest joining us. He's actually a mutual family friend and his name is Mike Wagner and he um, is a rice grower and owner of Two Brooks Farm. He runs the farm with his children. He is a 10th generation farmer and they are based out of Mississippi and he and his family are incredibly thoughtful about how they farm the land and how they take nature's needs into account. And we just learned so much about rice. It was awesome. Rice and farming and being mindful in how you make decisions in life. Yeah. Or for your life. Yeah. And one thing that comes up you know, kind of towards the end is the global impact, which is one of the reasons we were so excited to talk about it because we don't think about rice. At least I hadn't really ever given rice <laughs> much thought, but it, it it provides one fifth of the global calories. Amazing. And it's, it's amazing. And it's more than wheat or corn. And so the way that it is cultivated has a, you know, overall an incredible footprint. And Again, I just it had never been a topic that had came up that had come up and we tried some of Mike's amazing, really actually delicious it rice. Is. And then we did some more research into his farm and read about all of these sustainable and what he calls regenerative practices that they have. And and I also like how he you'll you'll hear him talk about how they're not most of their operation isn't quote unquote organic, but why that is and how that organic label isn't actually maybe always the best. And it was just a really unique perspective. And I learned a lot about rice. I did too. It's and I such to go a visit him. multifaceted industry. Well, and here, honestly, mom, I think it was really great for, that he brought several of the things that he brought up just really highlighted the fact that this is a multifaceted prob pl problem that we're facing. Mm -hmm. And I know it's really interesting because there's even, I think, balance within how to approach global warming and climate change, right? You know, we want to, f to find these clear-cut solutions and things we can do to be better stewards. And then the flip side is we can't kind of go into this eco-anxiety little you know little ball and not do anything and what's that middle ground and I and I just think that especially that organic perspective that he raised I mean you and I both I know you're much better than I am we really do try to buy organic and I do believe in that and especially the you know fertilizers we use in our yard are all organic I'm not saying I'm not poo-pooing organic at all but I just thought it was really interesting how Mike raised you know, a perspective that it's not as clear cut necessarily. Yeah. And you know what? We see that a lot. You know, electric cars aren't 
totally clear cut. Solar panels aren't, you know, just mm-hmm. black or white. There's gray in a lot of these solutions, which, you know, that's, but that's part of like moving forward. I think I try to, I just, you know, I just try to do, try to do my best and try to be thoughtful and conscious and recognize that no system is perfect. But through rice, I just felt like Mike really highlighted a lot of those overarching core issues that we're facing. Most definitely. I heard someone make a comment just recently and the person said, when you don't know very much about a topic that the different sides of the, of the, of the coin appear to be very black and white, but as you start digging and learning and becoming more, more familiar with the topic, that's when the, all the shades of gray come in. Mm-hmm. And that's so true farming. I mean, we want, a, we want, you know, a label that says organic. Okay, we know this is good. That's it. But it, there's so much more to it. There are so many layers. And I loved Mike's perspective of, you know what? He's going to feel good about his day's work when he has produced as many calories per acre that serves human needs and also nature's needs mm-hmm. and create as as rich of an environment in his farm that he can so and I loved how he was like I'm you know we're all I'm wanting to be a good neighbor at the end of the day yeah <laughs> anyways we won't give too much away anymore but um it was a great conversation with Mike and again a topic that I don't think many of us think about. So this is obviously in the show notes, but head over for sure to the Two Brooks Farm website to read so much more about what they're doing and their practices. You can also buy rice through their website. And again, we're not just saying this. It was freaking delicious. It is. It is. I crave it. Yes. So their website is twobrooksfarm.com and you can also check them out on Instagram and Facebook at twobrooksrice. So go learn more about sustainable, thoughtful, regenerative, ecosystem enhancing rice practices. <laughs> <laughs> we, we learned a lot. I'm a fan now. Yes. So... Without further ado, please welcome the amazing Mike Wagner with Two Brooks Farm to Mother Daughter Earthcast. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> well, and Mike, can you please give our listeners a little bit about your background and just kind of tell us why we're here talking about rice, especially on a sustainability podcast? Um, I am a 10th generation farmer, uh, family started in the Shenandoah Valley in 1742 and traveled, uh, in rather, uh, southerly and then westerly migration over the years. I think this is, I'm the, this is our 270 some odd state crop in the United States. And I was given a speech about uh, farming one day about uh, conservation, and I realized my family had been wearing the land out mm-hmm. for years, and um, so it it has tempered how I farm. Um, we grow rice in the Mississippi Delta, about a hundred miles south of Memphis. We grow about 
eight or nine varieties and uh, do it in uh, in a. I don't know if I call it sustainable. I call it rather regenerative. At some point in time, it does become sustainable fashion, and um, uh, try to balance our our uh, food production with uh, the local ecology and uh, environment for the benefit of mankind and nature. Oh, well, and that honestly, Mike, is one of the main things that we talk about. It's it's balance, right? It's conscious, living consciously and doing it in a way that takes our needs into account and nature's needs into account. And so when we were looking, first of all, for our listeners, we got gifted several of Mike's rice bags and they were delicious and that's when we also started looking more into your website mike and into two brooks farm and read about all of your conscious farming practices um and we're just learning so just so much about it so can you can you tell us a little bit about what makes y'all's operation different from typical rice growing methods that are more on the land depleting side of things versus your regenerative approach? Well, I can say how it yeah, started. It was started out of economy. I, when I was a young farmer, I kind of pulled myself up by the bootstraps and had no money and uh, learned everything the hard way and uh, kind of financed myself and I couldn't afford to do what a lot of established farmers were doing. So uh, I was began to know anyway i was able to buy land uh, and improve it what i thought was improving at the time and then i that used up a lot of money and we started noticing things uh, that uh, saved even more money the way we were farming and built a rice mill and tried to share i used to chair uh, the uh, usrpa rice producers association the western hemisphere uh, promotions and was flying around over Latin America one day and I realized I don't know why I'm down here doing promotions when we have so many food deserts at home Mm -hmm. and so we built a rice mill uh, flew through the jungles and found a rice mill in the middle of nowhere Uh, we give a lot of rice away and try to grow healthy varieties and uh, a lot of times people don't want healthy varieties they want what tastes uh, good so we try to find varieties that Tastes good and are healthy. So. <laughs> you know uh, what, Mike? The rice that you gave me last last spring, uh-huh. I crave it. It is the it, and I'm not just saying this. It is. It was. It was so flavorful. Mm-hmm. It really is amazing, and it, you could just taste the goodness in it. And it, anyway, well, it congratulations you. You grow. Thank you. A delicious healthy sustainable product well and i think your body craves it because it's healthy yeah and, and flavorful too but i would agree i agree well, with, well, with that a lot of that comes from the soil i believe i think it has inherent uh, health in the seed and it's, it's just 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 like raising a baby um you raise it in a healthy environment and you end up with a healthy baby that adds uh, flavor and production to the world but these these rices uh, we grow them in very rich very organic very um, uh, they're very heavy clay soils and they inherently harbor more nutrients and I, a lot of that is imparted in this in the uh, 
seed, um, I can walk around the farm and taste the the muck and just about tell you where on the place I am. Oh, anyway, yeah. the, the it, it's it's thank you. I appreciate the comments. <laughs> well, and so tell, could you tell our listeners how rice is grown? Uh, most people haven't seen it grown. I don't think. I know that I have. I've seen it grown down. Um, on the Texas coast, but I certainly yeah. have never traveled in Thailand or China and seen it grown there. So could you tell us how it is grown and how, I guess, and how, let, let me go back, how it is traditionally grown and how you and your family do it differently so it's more sustainable? Well, it's grown in a number of ways. Uh, in Africa, it was uh, broadcast, and as it was in Asia, um, uh, broadcast and uh, hand-planted and uh, in small plots. Uh, sometimes that was in a rather organic system and sometimes not. When it, in the United States, uh, you'd asked previously how ours are different from others. Uh, a lot of it's dry seeded in the United States. We would take a giant grain drill and, and plant it on dry soil and then wait for a rain or flush it with irrigation water. Um, uh, we grow ours, uh, so we grow a little bit that way, but a lot of ours is flown in standing water and, uh, so it takes root rather like it does in in um, less developed parts of the world, and grows rather wild. Um, there's a Japanese fellow, I think his name Animo, and uh, I finally figured out one day we were he, anyway. He take, he 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 broadcast his seed, hand plants the seed, and then incorporates ducks, which eat the weed seed and the the. Um, insects that might damage the uh, seedlings Mm -hmm. and fertilizes the rice while it's doing it. And I finally realized one day we were doing that in reverse. We, we have the ducks in, in the wintertime and they eat the weed seed and eat leeches and other pathogens and kind of clean the soil up for us and then aerate the soil. And then we fly the seed in. So we're kind of doing it in reverse. Um, Anyway, we, we, we culture those seedlings in that muck and uh, and foster them along till harvest, and uh, and then we uh, we and at harvest we would drain the fields uh, from water. A lot of the water is impounded naturally from rainfall. Uh, we do pump some uh, what's called blue water, mm-hmm. which is aquifer sources, but a lot of our water is generated on the farm either from um, runoff or from our neighbors. We're able to pick up water and recycle it through our farm, um, or it's um, uh, it's uh, it literally runs off of some, some of the fields that we can't farm in this this uh, regenerative way. Uh, we have to, our fields, our, our plantation is shaped like a giant bowl, and a, or a saucer, so we have some fields on all sides that feed off into the uh, center where we're able to impound uh, water and nutrients and whatnot and recycle them. Um, anyway, we drain the fields in the fall and then invite ducks back in after harvest, uh, waterfowl of all sorts. We're in the greatest water, 
uh, flyway in the United States. Mm. So it's, it turns into a system. For someone who doesn't is not familiar with the process, when you say you drain the fields, what does that look like? And then where where does that water go? And from the research that I've done, um, is does your product you know your rice cultivation help filter any of that water while it's on your land because you do have all this healthy ecosystem there? It uh, yes, it does, and uh, I didn't have a lot of money, and I bought all the land I could. For, it just so happened to be in one block, uh, and it was dead flat, and it had broken a lot of people that had tried to farm it before. Financially broke them, probably broke their spirits too. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have a lot of options. That was the least expensive way to do it, and we learned it the hard way. I suffered for three or four years, and then we started coming up with a system um, the water flows from all sides to the center and when it does we're able to impound that water two-thirds of the farm is developed so that it's perfectly flat and it has a heavy clay uh, basin bottom to it so we don't have a lot of infiltration and it's it literally like a saucer it just holds water and uh, uh, we use that water, and we have canals that are interconnected uh, with lakes on the place, with a bow, with a, a river on the west side, and we are able to recycle water, pick up water all through the place. Um, we, I think most rice farms in the United States in the old system would have used up to three-acre uh, feet of water, 36 acre inches of water. And when you precision level, like a lot of Mid-South has done, they've cut it down to two uh, acre feet, 24 acre inches of water. Wow. We're able to get by with about 12 acre inches. And let's do a little math. If At 12 acre inches, if we, uh, most of our rain comes in the winter, the fall, the winter, mm-hmm. and the spring. But if we if we are able to capture uh, 10 acre inches of water in the summertime, which we often are, uh, that leaves us with just having to come up with two acre inches of water out of the earth. So you can see the significant blue water savings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we able to use uh just recycle water out of the either out of the sky or, or out of the lakes or canals on the farm the the uh, rice while we're doing that we're able to uh the rice plants themselves the algae that's in the water the rice plants they'll they'll take up any excess nutrients that may have been sifting around in that water so when we have water leave the farm a lot of times that stuff it looks like a mountain stream it's it's really crystal clear water and i don't hesitate to drink the stuff uh hadn't it <laughs> hadn't deformed or killed me yet <laughs> but it is really clear water well and it also reminds reminds me and my mom and i did another podcast about the john bunker sands wetland operation here in in north texas and they do i think sounds like kind of similar they use wetlands and the plants in that system to filter water and that's actually the city's water filtration process and then they they distribute Uh that to the to the population nearby so they've gotten away entirely pretty much from that mechanical water filtration and are using plants and robust ecosystems like the one it seems like you have that filter that water naturally 
These fields turn into something like a combination of a bladder and a liver, and uh, they they really do filter a lot of impurities that you wouldn't want in a downstream system. And the downstream system we have is 325 miles south in the Gulf of Mexico. We're 300 miles north of the Gulf, mm. so we don't. It runs into the Quiver and then the Yazoo River and. Uh, inevitably the Mississippi and the Gulf, and we don't want to contribute to hypoxia or anything like that. No. And do y'all use fertilizers? And if you do, what, I mean, do you use organic fertilizers? And how, do you have to fertilize very much? Normally, rice would take a great deal of, of, yeah, fertilize. It would take phosphorus and potassium and nitrogen Mm -hmm. and a host of, just like other plants, it Mm -hmm. would take a host of micronutrients. Uh, We we fertilize with some synthetic nitrogen. Most of, uh, (laughs) we have so much waterfowl on the farm that one year I spent the year picking up waterfowl poop and mailed it off to Mississippi State. Then Mississippi State decided to do research. All of our uh, phosphorus and nitrogen comes from uh, waterfowl. All Wonderful. the micronutrients comes from waterfowl, and we get 60 pounds to 70 pounds of nitrogen out of the waterfowl, which leaves us with a deficit of, of maybe 60 or 80 pounds of nitrogen. Um, I can certainly, we have a lot of chicken farms in the state, I can have that hauling up here, but the carbon expenditure of having the, the trucking and the spreading and all that, anyway, it's simpler to put out a, a synthetic source such as urea. Okay. Mm, okay. Um, but that's the, uh, that's, we have two synthetic things we put out. We have some herbicide we put out and we put out urea and that's it. We don't put out fungicides or insecticides. Kind of right. messes up our, mojo in the soil it certainly does i know that so many times customers will ask me well how when we're taking care of their yards we ask they'll ask us well how how are you what's your pest control program and i said have healthy soil healthy plants the insects take care of each other what we don't we don't do pesticides and don't need to yeah you should start bringing in ducks (laughs) <laughs> that's what I need to do. Bring yeah. in ducks into my customers' yards. <laughs> well, let me ask you. You said that you had noticed that the soil was tired and from many years of people not taking care of it. What changes have right. you seen on your farm since you have been taking care of the soil and the land and the waterfowl and the insects and, you know, in creating this rich ecosystem. It would first have been uh, the crawfish and the ducks coming in. uh, And and then you get to wondering what what it takes to support those populations, uh, what it takes to support uh, migratory coastal birds to come up. And I'm always limited on labor or equipment or capital to till soil and we just started leaving the rice straw out there i was one of the first no-tillers in the state and i used to have people drive by the farm and and scratch their head wondering what in the world is this guy doing out there we'd leave the straw standing and and plant into that when we were dry seeding and then it was a natural evolution to do it with 
with a wet planted uh, system, and then the ducks would come through. The ducks would stomp, and the and the geese would stomp down the uh, straw. And if we had ruts from the harvest, the, the combines are big, heavy, lumber, cumbersome machines. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes they'll leave ankle knee, sometimes knee-deep ruts. And we might have to augment that with uh, a little bit of a, a roller or something like that to smoosh it around. We, we treat our soils like Play-Doh over <laughs> here. Uh, you just smoosh it back together and then try to make another crop. And it works pretty well for me. Mike, you crack uh, me up. And I also love how at the beginning, when we were like, you know, tell us about how you're so sustainable. And you're like, oh, I'm just doing my thing over here, being a farmer. And so, and throughout our conversation, I hear about crawfish and ducks being part of your operation and water savings, filtration, no tilling. You're doing so many just ama- just very thoughtful practices. And a lot of it that is I'm hearing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, it's really basically coming back to the basics and using what nature is already providing you with. That's exactly what we're doing. It comes from uh, frustration and then observation and um, a lack of cash flow, I guess you could say, (laughs) and uh, um, just trying to work uh, nature back into and let let nature do the job. The ducks were uh, tilling the soil. They were eating the weed seeds. They were uh, 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 fertilizing and uh, when 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 the ducks stomp the, the straw into the ground, that creates an environment for bacteria and funguses and, and even a few viruses. And then from that builds up uh, the next layer, the animal, you know, anything that would feed on that, if the molds and the algaes that that uh, emanate from that make your soil richer, help the help feed the actual soil, the clay and what little few sand particles we have in the soil helps break those down again. It helps uh, carbon sequestration. Carbon holds uh, fer- fertility. It holds, uh, it holds, uh, helps hold moisture uh, and provides an environment for uh, the, the crawfish love the rice straw. And then from the crawfish, the shorebirds come in and eat the crawfish. We'll have huge flocks of pelicans at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife. We have a lot of catfish ponds around here. And the uh, the pelicans aren't necessarily popular with my neighbors, but um, I try to hide them for a while before they come. How do you hide a pelican? <laughs> well, I just kind of shut up and and, and hopefully the, the the wildlife department doesn't fly around and see them. But uh, they eat a lot of the crawfish. We'll have so many crawfish. You can crawl on an airplane. I fly a little bit. Crawl on an airplane, look down. It looks like my land is full of pimples. Just It's just... <laughs> We have as many crawfish as anywhere in Louisiana, and we're not farming the thing. Wow, <laughs> that's incredible! That is so. What do you? Well, this is just for my, you know, curiosity. What do you do with the crawfish? Do you do you ever catch it and eat it yourself, or you just leave it there and let it do its live live life, live the crawfish life? I don't. My son and all his buddies, they, they'll go trap them and have big feeds in the springtime, but I avoid that. So. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) I love it. Not many farmers, Mike, can say that they grow have tons of crawfish just hanging out on their (laughs) on in their operation. I think that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So well, they they they're they're an integral part of the operation. Interesting. Well, 
while I was reading about rice growing, well, I guess a couple of questions. Number one, how long from the time, when do you plant rice and when do you harvest it? And what is a good year? I guess a good year would be with lots of rain? A good year would be with measured amounts of rain at the right time. So we we rarely have a good year. I'm going to answer this in reverse. Yeah. (laughs) We we always get too much rain or not enough rain, and it comes at the wrong time. Um, But we normally plant in April uh, when the uh, the ambient air temperature is 85 degrees or so, which fosters uh, good germination. And... um, then we usually replant about two weeks later because sometimes the, there's so many ducks left that uh, they'll fly up and hit the airplanes when flying through the field oh, <laughs> to no. sprinkle the seed. Oh, no. turns into a mess. <laughs> and um, we would normally start harvesting in September, normally finish uh, in the middle of October, and then uh, uh, we would stop the fields back up. Our fields are perfectly flat. But they have little drainage ditches around the edge that help pull the water off. So we would stop those up in um, November and uh, catch um, a good November rain. And here come the ducks and the geese on their way south. Interesting. And how do y'all dry? Do you let the rice dry on the plant? Or I was reading that a lot of people put the rice in dryers to dry it? Is that correct? Right. Uh-huh. How, how do yeah. you all dry mm-hmm. That's it? That's pretty common. Okay. Uh, well, uh, we, we, we have uh, a couple grain bins that can dry rice to some degree, but I'm not really not set up for that. And the market amazingly doesn't pay me for that. They, the market says I want cheap rice. So uh, I try to give them cheap rice. I, <laughs> Uh, inexpensively grown rice. I let it dry out in the field, let the sunshine take care of this situation. Uh, it'll pull the moisture out of the kernels, and it gives it a little more slower, slower driving, drying, gives it a little more flavor. Uh, it might cause some uh, milling problems. Uh, rice is, some varieties will have a fissure line if they soak up moisture, then dry back down over a course of a, three or four weeks out in the field. So we have to be cognizant of that, but we try to let it dry out in the field and save the expense, the carbon expense and the electrical expense of of, uh, of uh, synthetically drying the rice. Yeah, it's like my, so my husband, Toby, is from New Zealand and he's the one that brought me back to air air or line drying my clothing let the sun do it for you <laughs> save save the energy it's much softer too <laughs> and your clothing lasts much longer it You're... doesn't it doesn't get, get away in the lint dry uh, cleaner exactly mike my one thing and i've i've kind of gotten over it because i've i've lost the battle but i told toby i just don't like the crunchy towels i do feel like the towels end up being crunchier when you dry them outside but i'm getting over it <laughs> <laughs> the flip side is well, that you're gonna have to you have to find a windier spot in your yard. That, that's what softens them. Interesting, yeah. That's Mike. Maybe this is gonna be like my biggest learning thing from today. Is maybe I need to find a new a new spot because it's in like this back patio that doesn't get much wind. Hmm. Uh-huh. Interesting. Gotta have some wind. I've never thought thought of that. Um, now I've got a question, Mike. What's your favorite way to uh, eat rice? Yeah. To eat rice? Yeah. yeah. How do you like to eat your rice? 
well, I've got myriads of ways. <laughs> You can check the website. I, 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 my favorite way to eat it is sparingly uh, because I don't, it doesn't take much. As old as I am, I'm older than the dirt I farm. Uh, is is have a couple spoonfuls for breakfast and maybe a couple for supper. I like to um, I'll cook a pot once or twice a week, and unless I have some company, which is I live in the middle of nowhere by myself. Um, but I can cook a pot and uh, literally just uh, in, if have it fresh one day and then fry it the rest of the time. I like it for breakfast. I'll put a couple spoonfuls in and fry it with some garlic and onions and then with eggs in the morning, mm-hmm. spinach, uh, make a wrap or something at night with fish. Um, or sometimes it's uh, – anyway, I'm just I, – I like it in rice salads, chilled rice salads. Um, I've even made uh, potofos uh, with with the uh, grits, uh, which is kind of up in the game. It's kind of like little champagne bubbles floating around in your dessert. <laughs> oh, uh, rice puddings. Um, uh, I've made uh, cocoa beans with uh, Julia Child would flip out, but I can <laughs> stick some rice in there, and she would she'd she'd be all about it. <laughs> I bet she would. Wonderful. Uh-huh. So. Um, and I, I think we have a couple more questions for you, Mike. I kind of don't want you to leave because you're <laughs> cracking me up so much. Um, one thing that we were we found out while we were doing our research is something that mm-hmm. I didn't know, which is that globally rice provides one fifth of the calories consumed, which is more more than wheat or corn, which is incredible. And so, um. I I just wanted to share that for our listeners as well. It puts this conversation into context because of how much rice is being cultivated, really the need to just be thoughtful of the way that we're doing it and kind of everything that you've been speaking about today and, and what you guys do as an operation from a consumer standpoint, is there anything that we can be looking for when we buy rice in terms of knowing that we're, helping support that and support those practices that are being more thoughtful and conscious. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, the American market, the American rice grower is headed that direction uh, towards what they call sustainability. And uh, everyone's trying to do the right thing. 20% of the uh, calories, as you said, is supplied by rice. 50% of the people in the world eat rice as you know, as, as a supplement or uh, to their meal. Uh, American agriculture has gone that way from from a scientific standpoint and an economic standpoint. Just It's, it's good uh, walking around since uh, to, to save money. Um, they have, uh, they're addressing, uh, we, we're naturally positioned, rice farmers, generally speaking, are naturally positioned to be a, 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 a a real stepping stone toward working with nature to produce the crops, the, the, the calories needed. Um, we can do it in a system that is maybe not in the American sense organic, but it, it supplies calories and it supplies the needs of nature. I've been to uh, the jungles before. I've watched, I, one time I was in Belize, well, that was uh, nine years ago. I was in Belize, and they were had chains between bulldozers, and 
dragging the rainforest down. And I said, what mm. in the world are you doing? He said, well, we're growing rice for the uh, I said, really? I said, for the American organic market. And I think if most consumers mm-hmm. could see something like that, they would flip out. Uh, it, yeah. I'm a tree hugger. I don't like yeah. we, we We have some organic rice on our farm, uh, very little of it. Uh, we make half the calories per acre. It's all about the, the number of calories generated per acre per given space hmm. because we don't want to go shove the rest of the rainforest down. No. So we have to conserve the space we have. We have to use the water we have on this planet wisely. And we have to work the environment into what we're doing. And I don't think there's another industry, farming industry on this planet that can do as much as rice can do. Mm. Um, they're working on saltwater rice and this all sorts of things. So we, anyway, my the industry I'm involved in is, is rather unique. It is. And are there very many other rice farmers in your area, Mike? Uh, Mississippi has about two, usually 100 to 200,000 acres of rice. There's about uh, sometimes up to 2 million acres of rice grown in the U.S. Arkansas grows half of that. Uh, You Texans grow. You've gone from... Uh, you've gone from growing uh, three quarter of a million acres of rice to a hundred thousand acres of rice and six hundred and fifty thousand acres of uh, suburbs. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> lots uh, of suburbs. <laughs> lots. We, uh-huh. we seem to do that a lot, Mike. It's huh. don't get me started. We can have a whole another chat about those well, cookie cutter suburbs. <laughs> But it all—it really comes down to here. We, when I was a boy, when my father was a boy, he had, there were two billion people on the planet. When I was a kid, there were three billion people on the planet. Yeah. Started farming, there was uh, four and a half billion people. Today, there's almost eight billion people on the planet. We have less space to grow crops on mm-hmm. because of urbanization or uh, uh, wiser management, uh, land management. Uh, we threaten our water resources, and uh, so we 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 have to be very cognitive of our foodways and our food systems. Yeah, and that's why we appreciate so much what you and your family are doing. Yes, this well, is imp- this is really important. It is. It and, is. And so many times, we, I, d- I don't think people they they see organic. And they think, okay, that's that's it. That's the only thing you need to consider in food and buying your food. But it's not. It's, I mean, you have you've showed us how you need to be so mindful of the water usage of the the the, the ecosystem yes. you create, everything, and where yeah. where it's being planted and what you've taken down, if anything, to add those fields. Because you're right, Mike, if on that bag of rice it said organic, however, destroyed rainforest in the process, <laughs> I don't think anyone would be on board with that. Right. And they, they we have to, uh, we just, we, we if, if I, if I can help people understand to, Generate more calories per acre, and at the same time generate more habitat for the local wildlife and my local ecology. Then I'm doing my job, and my maybe I hope my neighbors notice, and they have. Uh, our industry notices, so uh, that's 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 my job as a as a 
farmer and a producer. I love that. And speaking of what you produce, where can people buy your rice? That's a good question. My children tell me to be quiet <laughs> and keep farming, and they'll take care of this. But they have a website. It's twobrooksfarm.com. And it's sold in a lot of uh, the restaurant industries around the, in the South. It's on a lot of menus. Uh, they have it in a few stores, but we're kind of a, well, not a mom and pop. We're a, a dad and a children operation. <laughs> so uh, the website, twobrooksfarm.com. Perfect. So people can we'll purchase old. rice from your website. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, perfect. Yeah. There's 20 boxes outside the office door right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to get online and order some because or it we is, could go visit in Mississippi. Well, actually, I am. Oh, sup- well, actually, I am it's supposed to be coming at the end of April, the beginning of May, to do some gardening for Buford and Malvina. Oh, good, good. Well, you you you'll have to go to the farm. I'd love that. I would love to see. And hopefully Mariana will come with me this time. She came with me two years ago, but she was not Mm -hmm. able to join me last year. So hopefully this year she'll be able to uh, join me on my annual gardening jaunt to Mississippi. Yes. Yes. And we look forward to having you. I hope Buford Mouth, I hope they're here. They, we'll they're supposed. A, they've a already. Or something. They've already called me and told me to set set up a date. So yeah, I I think they're going to be there, and so will I. Perfect. And for Good. listeners, we will most definitely link the website again. That's uh, twobrooksfarm.com. and then you can also check out their Instagram and Facebook, which is at twobrooksrice. So l- we will definitely link that in the show notes. So, Mike, we always we we have one final question that we always ask everyone, and uh, it is: What do you think is the most important thing that each individual can do to help reverse global warming and climate change? Wake up in the morning a few minutes early and cognizantly go through your day's process and uh, shorten your trips and shorten your demands on the of anything requiring synthetic energy that's what i do every morning i just think of ways to save uh and then and which inevitably saves me frustration uh technology drives me bonkers just I, if i can find things synthetic to do or uh, natural to do shorten my trips uh, and still accomplish what is meaningful for me that's yeah. i get joy out of that and it saves the energy grids and which is terribly important this special day. It is. You, you know what? Your answer is was very unique, and it kind of melted my heart. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, and I can tell what, what it's been. One of the things that has been great about getting to chat with you, Mike, is it's clear that this practice of just being mindful about nature and about your environment is part of your entire life not only the way you personally live your life and start your day but also the way you farm and you've clearly passed this down to your children as well the 11th generation of farmers so Mm -hmm. it's just been great it's been great and it's such a breath of fresh air because at the end of the day you know all of this can be very overwhelming it's such a multifaceted um, issue that we're facing but you really just distilled it down to being mindful and just thoughtful and balancing our needs with nature's needs. And I think at the end of the day, that's all any of us can do. And 
So it's been great. We have to, we, every day, I, I remind myself that all I am is another animal walking around in a kingdom of plant and animal species. And um, I have to be a, a good neighbor to all of each of them. And uh, I'm no more important than any of them. And I, I'm just integrated into in an environment, and uh, my species has rather taken over the planet. So I've got to to, to go the extra mile. Yeah, oh. thank you, thank Mike, you, Mike. Such a true Southern gentleman. <laughs> you really, you've been awesome to speak with, and we really appreciate you teaching us so much about rice and the global impact, and just what how we can all be more thoughtful. Um, about how we consume and, and just go about our day. So we really appreciate yeah. it. Well, I'm enjoying visiting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, is... we have too. And hopefully we can do it in person and I can see some crawfish in the fields. <laughs> You'll be here at the right time. Perfect. <laughs> Even more reason. Like April and May, you'll be here. We'll, uh, you'll see stilts and uh, there should be some shorebirds still pecking around. So be, be happy to have y'all. That well, sounds thank awesome. You. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time and your uh, sharing your expertise with us. This was very kind. Glad to visit and share. Thanks, Mike. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Be well. Okay. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye.